0: It's it's very important to understand how taxes operate in the market that you're purchasing your multifamily deals or even your single family deals, but also to see what incentive programs are available to you.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Immigrant Doctor podcast. Um, I have a very special guest today with me. Uh, I have Andrea Garcia. She's not only a badass at what she does, uh, not, and so by the way, she's a member of our team and I wanted to bring her on because of the expertise that she brings. Uh, so not only is she good at underwriting, that's what she does for our team, but also she really understands affordable housing fairly well. And, uh, you know, we wanted to bring somebody on our team who really kind of complemented our se- skill sets, and um, she has truly been an asset to us. So I want to bring her on, and I'll let her introduce herself, and we'll kind of dive into her story and how she got into affordable housing and what that actually is, and how do people actually make money in that. So welcome, Andrea.
0: Thank you for having me on. It's so much fun to be here.
1: Yeah. So so let's dive into who you are as a person. And it's so funny how our worlds collided and we didn't know each other till till some time ago, right?
0: That's true. You know, it's interesting, like you really are the average of the five people you spend time with. Because when we were, I was spending time with a couple of people in our group in sub two, we were Joined because we we're trying to find creative ways on how to acquire these multifamily assets. And I think that through that, we were able to be an average of five people who were aiming for the same goal. And along the way, we formed a team where we're essentially searching for assets in a specific market that will meet our buy box criteria for what we specialize in. And everybody has their own uh, specialty and skills. Mine just happens to be chatting with people and the numbers. So it's called underwriting. Underwriting is essentially just how to identify if a deal is a deal.
1: Right, right, right. Well, let, let's, let's, uh, you know, take a step forward. You've been in real estate for quite some time. So let's just go into your background of how you got started in real estate and what really kind of got you to this point where you're so deep into it.
0: Woo, what got me to real estate? Just a short and quick version of it. Um, you know, my parents didn't grow up with a lot of money. we, didn't grow up with anything at all. My mom was a housekeeper. My father worked in construction just like a lot of immigrant parents that come to the United States. And I'm in the first generation born here in this country. So uh, I understood that my parents' retirement was based on my efforts. I, ha- I am responsible for my family. So quickly within, I think it was about six years ago, I got into uh, commercial real estate. I ended up working for finding a job, going over for someone else, learning the ropes. And then I got into commercial real estate where you buy multiple um, shopping centers and assets. And I said, that's not for me. I want to work in helping people live through better through affordable housing. And that's when I joined another team where I learned the in and outs of uh, affordable housing, Section 8, tax credit properties, and basically everything that goes into that type of a transaction. Because I was able to see these huge, large-scale renovations to make really... I would say C, D class, not really great buildings turn into A class level, amazing security, amazing renovations for these low income individuals. And it's just it brings tears to their eyes when they're able to see that they're treated like actually decent people for the money that they make. And they're able to put into their rental unit. So that that was very rewarding to see that.
1: Yeah, I think we'll dive into the, you know, the classes of properties a little bit just so that people can understand when we say A class properties, B class properties, C class properties, what do they really mean? Just to give a perspective of, you know, how far the difference is in terms of the quality of the the asset itself.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So let's talk about that a little bit.
0: (laughs) So um, I would say I've grown up in probably C or D class buildings based on what my parents could afford growing up. And, and essentially, what an A-class building is, is if you see something that was built within the last 10 years or renovated, and it has very new fixtures or very new appliances, stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, if it has maybe a game room, community room, something to add great project amenities so that people want to live there that make a higher income. And then the B class is a little level below that B class is essentially where uh, you have a similar type of build, but not as renovated or new. And it was built probably within 10 to 20 years or 10 to 15 years. You, you just really get the feel of it. Once you see that the class of building and the types of renovations that have been done on it uh, match up with what the class is, but C-class is also uh, a lot, it's definitely lower than the B-class and you're going to see something that's a bit older, dilapidated building, needs a lot of renovations over, I would say over 5,000, at least, I would say over 10,000 renovation per unit. So it's probably doesn't even have modern air conditioning or um, a great heating system, probably carpet flooring, not really modern finishes or fixtures, but there is, and then D class is like in the boonies. It's, not, you're not somebody that really probably, it's a mom and pop, probably dilapidated or has, does not have any tender loving cares. So there's A class, high level type building, B class below that, C class, and then D class. But then you also have like B minus, B plus. So when you talk to brokers in a multifamily space, they're they want to know, is it like a B minus, B plus? Type of an asset and also the neighborhood so you have to know is it right. like a b minus na- uh class of a building and then it, it's in a c-class neighborhood oh it's gonna need some tender loving care you're gonna need to renovate it but right. then you might be able to find a c-class building in an a neighborhood like up and coming where you see like a whole foods starbucks maybe a top golf you would you know anything that has the these types of restaurants or areas that can attract more higher income earners, those are the buildings you want to look out for and opportunities.
1: Yeah, and I think I wanted to kind of talk about these different classes just to give a perspective of how big of a difference it makes for the tenants that are living in these buildings that are, say, for example, D-class that are very dilapidated, very old, um, and you renovate them to the new level. That's the new modern standard. And um, the emotional um, sort of, uh, you know, advantage or the emotional benefit that they get from just living in those newer buildings, even though the, you know, the bones are old, but just the interior that makes such a world of a difference for the tenants that are living in those buildings.
0: It makes a huge difference. It's not only the fact that whenever a, a unit or a building is renovated and it, you have a low income individual living in an A class building Not only do they feel fulfilled and happy and they want to stay there, but they will actually end up treating the unit better once they see that the landlord has actually implemented a full-scale renovation or maybe has done some upgrades to the interiors or the exteriors and they'll feel good living there. Your occupancy levels will go up. Vacancy will go down. So if those types of assets that are, you know, a low income person with let's say in a C class building and then you renovate it to A class Oh, they will want to stay there forever. Like you will have uh, your vacancy will will stay low.
1: Not only the vacancy, right? The wear and tear also goes down because a) you've just renovated the unit, and so obviously the wear and tear is down. But also b) that uh, the tenants that are living there are now going to take greater care of it because they can see the value that you're providing to them. Yes, right?
0: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, so so
1: so let's talk, let's talk about you know the the fact that you're in affordable housing now, right? Or you've operated in that space for a while. Um, what are kind of, kind of some of the nuances that you see versus, you know, just somebody going and buying buying a property? What What is different about affordable housing? Uh, I would say let's just start with what is affordable housing per se.
0: So whenever you think about affordable housing, it's very important to understand the differences in terminology. If you're talking to a single family investor and they say that they want to create affordable housing for people. When you say that to a multifamily investor, that means, okay, you want to invest in Section 8 apartment buildings or Section 8 living. And Section 8 essentially means that this type of a property either has a Section 8 HAP contract attached to it, a housing assistance payment contract attached to it, which usually lasts about 20 years. And within that HAP contract for that building, it means that a certain designated percentage of tenants need to be below a certain income bracket. So for the most part, if it's a Section 8, if certain units um, are allocated to Section 8, that means that the tenants have to make, they cannot make over a certain income amount for the area. And also, they cannot pay more than 30% of their income towards the rent. So if they are making, let's say, $1,000 a month, the $300 maximum should go to the rent, but no, no more than that. So essentially, this is how a Section 8 HAP contract building would operate. But then there's also a voucher-based uh, project. So there's Section 8 project-based, and then there's voucher-based. So it's important to know the difference, and also if it's a tax credit, Property, meaning that this property has been uh, what's called allocated uh, low income housing tax credits on behalf of the um, state authority. And then it has probably bonds attached to it, meaning that the investors are able to claim tax credits for that investment. So there's different kinds of projects. Whenever you say affordable housing, uh, you uh, mean different things.
1: Right, exactly. So that's why I want to kind of simplify this uh, for the listeners. So, you know, when you look at affordable housing, at the end of the day, we're kind of uh, trying to create housing for people, um, at giving them a certain standard, which they could not afford at the market rate. So what the government has done is it they've created these programs, these incentives for investors to actually create this housing wherein they pay part of the rent, and that's what part of Section 8 is, correct? That, um, you know, the, the tenants can only pay a part of the rent, even though the rent may be market rent, or uh, I think now it's a little up. You can charge up to 150% of the market rate. Is that is that correct?
0: So as of March, around March 11th of 2023, what HUD did for the first time in six years, so since 2017, HUD published a new guidance saying that instead of charging 140% of the median zip code rent as maximum fair market rent, for as maximum rent you can charge for that unit, um, for the median unit. So they changed the guidance so that we the tenants could be able to pay up to 150% of the small area fair market rent. Meaning if my small area fair market rent for my zip code, for my Bedroom type. So I live in, you know, close to Marina Del Rey. And then if a one bedroom small area fair market rent here is $3,000 for a one bedroom, technically, if I was a Section 8 tenant living in that unit, I would pay uh, $3,000 times 1.5. So 150% of that uh, small area fair market rent. Technically, that's how much the, uh, the unit rent would be, but I would maximally pay 30% of my income, right? So if I can right, only right. afford $300 to pay for rent, so that difference in $300 to 150% of the small area fair market rent, that's what HUD would be covering. So they are in charge of making sure that they pay the balance of what that unit rent is supposed to be.
1: Yeah, and that's very important to understand because, you know, we're still charging fair market rent in affordable housing. So it's not like it's subsidized housing. It's subsidized by the government for the people who qualify for Section 8. But the, the landlords are still able to charge fair market value. In fact, now 150%. So, for example, um, you know, some, some place rents out for $1,000 a month. You can actually charge up to $1,500 a month for that same unit provided you're providing um, that, you know, housing to a Section 8 tenant. Whatever they may be able to pay, they may be able to pay. They come through a separate entity, you know, the HUD, uh, the HUD uh, uh, qualifies them for Section 8 and gives them however they process their, uh, their application. But they come through that process, and the remainder of the deficit is actually paid by a HUD. And right. one of the advantages of that is um, that it's very difficult to qualify for these programs, and there's always a long waiting line. And once you qualify, people who actually get into these housing, they don't want to leave. All right, guys, if you haven't done already, please go check out my free video series on how to do due diligence on operators and on deals before investing in them. It's called Real Estate Rx for Passive Investors, and it's available at www.rerxcourse.com.